The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do gooders with interviews, music, and documentaries. You're listening to the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X Ray FM, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Learn more online at mediamakingchange.org. I'm Carly Meisberger. Today, we talked to Natalie Wood from Kinship House about the ways that her organization supports kids who are experiencing foster care or adoption. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Happy Hour. I am joined in the studio today with uh, Natalie Wood, who is executive director of Kinship House. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. So I want to start our conversation just by quoting from your website and then asking for some clarification. Mm-hmm. So website uh, says something to the effect of, at Kinship House, we address the missing piece in services provided to most children touched by foster care and, adop- and ad- adoption. That, 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 that missing piece, what, mm-hmm. what, what is that? That's a great question. Um, so Kinship House was founded in 1996 by five uh, therapists and child welfare folks or people working within the child welfare system um, specifically to address that missing piece. So the missing piece being that um, you know, there's kind of two roads of uh, services for foster kids, kids in the foster care system that have experienced abuse and neglect, and then mental health outpatient. Um, and there's a lot of very specific needs that kids in the foster care system have that aren't addressed in the general population mental health mental health system. Um, so Kinship House was founded to really address those needs, primarily being of extensive trauma history. So yeah, Kinship House, the 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 gap in services that was identified was uh you know, these kids that we're working with have extensive trauma histories. They're also kids living within the system of foster care, um, which has its own um, impact itself. Um, and then, you know, moving into permanency, whether that's back home with parents or into a new adoptive placement. So there's a lot of different angles that our therapists are touching um, and working with the kids and the families on. And and why is this not handled by the county or the state? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's It's... Hmm. <laughs> it's I. It's expensive. Uh, the kids that we're working with, because they do have such uh, intense trauma that has happened to them to the level that they've had to be removed from the home. Um, it takes a long time to help them heal and to help them stabilize and attach in a healthy way to their family, whether that's their new family or their you know return home family. Uh, so as a nonprofit, we uh, with insurance billing make about 80 cents to every dollar that we spend on the kiddos. So really our mission is to provide the services the kids need for as long as they need it and uh, figure out the finances elsewhere. Um, I'm going to continue from, from from your website here. Mm-hmm. And, and so it goes on and it says, our work helps minimize transition and increases the chances of children settling into stable, healthy, and permanent, uh, a stable, healthy, permanent home. Mm-hmm. So... Let's talk about that a little bit, too. So uh, can you talk about a success and failure rate and what does success look like and Mm -hmm. what does failure look like? Yeah. So let's see, you know, success and failure, every every kid's journey through the system and into their future is so wildly different. So I think very generally speaking, um, a successful story for us is 
you know, a kiddo that comes into services and we are able to really dig into their trauma history with them and help them do some healing around that. Um, and then a lot of our kids, our uh, parental rights have been terminated, and so they're being adopted by a, a stranger family. Um, so if you think about, like, you know, a kiddo, a recent example of a kid that we were talking about um, came into care when she was two years old. Uh, by the time she was four, she had been in three different foster homes. So she'd moved four times in two years and uh, then was placed with an adoptive family. So uh, about a month ago, she met her new family and her new mom, and she's four, and that's a ton of disruption and uh, a lot to navigate just since she's come into care, not counting all of the stuff that happened to her prior to entering care, so all of the abuse and neglect that she experienced. Um, So a success for that kid is going to be um, that we're able to work with her as our primary client, um, working really closely with her adoptive parents and her adoptive siblings uh, to help her heal from her trauma and, um, you know, create the neural pathways in her developing brain where she can have a healthy attachment to the her new family so she can relearn that adults can keep you safe, that adults can meet your needs, and that they will do that. Um, so kind of back to the first question you asked, why, is, why isn't everybody doing this? Um, it takes a long time. It's a lot. It's a long haul uh, type of service provision. So we will likely be working with that family for a couple years. And if, you know, everything goes well and she stabilizes in place and um, is able to stay with that family, then we can close services and that kid kiddo has a family to grow up with. Yeah, wow. That just that's a lot of work that yeah. you just unloaded. <laughs> and as as a somewhat new parent myself and mm-hmm. with a two year old, I mean I, I I you know, who's healthy and happy, I mean I I, I already know how much work that is. I mean that's right. A, yes. It always amazes me. Like I'll be following this kid around the house and be like, This is my full time job. Like it mm-hmm. takes like you know, it's 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 almost like that joke, like how many, you know, how many adults does it take to change a light bulb or like how many adults does it take to change one raise one two-year-old right and and you know so i i what sort of caseload is that a way mm-hmm. of saying it what sort of caseload yeah. uh do the therapists and, and and staff at kinship house have yeah so our we serve as an organization we serve just over 500 kids annually um our therapists if you know you're a full-time therapist the caseload is uh between 26 and 30 clients which is pretty low um, compared to other community-based mental health, Um, but we keep it pretty low intentionally because the kiddos need a lot, and we're seeing a lot of our clients uh, once a week or maybe bi-monthly, but our therapists are also doing a lot of advocacy and systems work, and uh, that's part of the uh, unfunded mandate that we have from our mission is that, you know, the kids we're working with are embedded in systems of adults. So they have a caseworker and an attorney and a CASA and maybe a RAP coordinator and a IEP person at school, just a ton of adults in their lives making decisions about what's going to happen. And so we make sure that our therapists are there at the table at the different various and sundry meetings that happen. um, So we can you know, at least have a voice at the table to try and make sure that the child's mental health is central to the decisions being made. I, I want to <clears throat> pan out for mm-hmm. a little bit and, and get more of a um, survey the, the landscape a bit yeah. here. So I, how many kids are we talking about? I mean, you said how mm-hmm. many kids Kinship House works with. 
there there was something on the website that says Oregon ranks 49th in the country. Mm-hmm. And and can uh, 49th in the country for what? And I'm assuming that's 49th worst, not second least. Yeah, so uh, 49th in the country. I believe that may be a old stat, too. We recently got the new data from 2018 from DHS, um, but that was for number of kids in care. So last year in 2018, there were 11,500, around 11,500 kids in care in the state. Um, Of those kiddos, just under half of them were under the age of six. So we have, as a state, a remarkably high level of really young kids coming into care. And, um, you know, when we're looking at rankings and best and worst, it's hard to say because if the kids are in unsafe environments, we definitely want to have them in a safe place, even if that is not ideal. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance and gray in those statistics, but we do have a, a large number of kiddos in care. But as, as a general taking of the temperature, mm-hmm. Oregon is has trouble. Yeah, we've had a, a struggling system for some time. Um, so I've been working in the foster foster care adjacent, at least, for the last 15 years in the Portland metro area. And um, we do struggle with congregate care, so residential treatment settings and um, just a lack of placement for kids. You know, just last year there was a lot of a lot of in the news around kids staying in hotels and at child welfare offices and things like that. So... There's well, a big need. Why, why, why is Oregon in this situation? I mean, is is this a, a matter of funding? Is this a matter of culture? Is this a matter of, I mean, what, what, why is Oregon in this dilemma? Um, from my perspective, I think it's uh, all those things you said. I think it, uh, a lack of funding for DHS child welfare specifically. We have, um, you know, caseworkers working at the state level that are really inundated and overloaded with their caseloads um, and to no fault of their own, you know, just can't get to everything they need to do, um, which in turn creates this major burnout that happens. And so there's, you know, people leave and then new people come and onboarding those people and getting them trained up. So um, I would say in the last couple of years, it's kind of become this uh, bit of a vicious cycle that I know that folks are working really hard to figure out how, how to get us out of it. And a big there's a big push on recruiting foster parents um, and respite givers and things like that. So. And, and and the um, the impact, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a few just metrics that really stood out to me. Um, less than 3% of foster care children, is this right, would will earn a college degree and less than 50% will graduate high school? Yeah. So that is, those are statistics based on a Casey family study that happened a few years ago. Uh, And that's really focused on kids that uh, exit the foster care system without having been adopted or reunified. Um, So they're, you know, exiting at 18 with really no safety net. Um, I actually spent the first portion of my career working specifically with kids that were exiting foster care at 18. And, uh, and the statistics, again, with the nuance and the grace, they're some of the strongest, smartest, most resilient kids I've ever met um, and are given choices between bad and worse. And when that's what you're given, you make a bad decision even at its best, right? Uh, so, yeah, the the outcomes for kids that aren't um, stabilized in a home prior to the age of 18 are really pretty deleterious. Yeah. 
Natalie Wood is executive director for Kinship House. Now, you brought in a song that's going to help um, maybe counterbalance this <laughs> a little bit. And when we come back from our music break, I want to talk about Kinship House and, and sort of the, the beacon of, of light that it provides with, within this, these sort of these grim statistics and scenarios that we've been talking about. Let's, but let's, so let's change the mood. You brought in some Great. song, some music. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, 180 here, we brought in Happy by Pharrell. Um, and really, the one of the things that is so inspiring to me about the work we do, like I was saying about the kids I've worked with in the past and the kids we work with currently, is um, the resilience and the strength that these kids have. And to get to see them um, grow and heal is, there's really not much that's more impactful that I've experienced. So Let's take a listen.
That was, of course, Pharrell. That was Happy. We are all in a good frame of mind now. <laughs> this is the Nonprofit Happy Hour on X-Ray FM. I am Phil Bussey, and I am in the studio with Natalie Wood, who is Executive Director for Kinship House. Now, you actually, you're actually in a house. We are, yeah. Not just a name. Right, yes. That's a big part of our mission. Yeah. Um, can you describe the house? What, is, what does it look like? What, what does somebody see when they come in the front door? Absolutely. So we are um, over off Northeast 8th Avenue in a very traditional, like, Portland-style house. Um, it's a two-story greenhouse. And I know when that's where we were founded was in that house. Um, and the intention behind that is that, uh, you know, the kids that we're working with have go to a lot of meetings. They go to a lot of appointments. Um, and when they come to a therapy appointment, they're really digging into some of, some hard stuff. And so we wanted to make the environment as comfortable and accessible as possible. And I love it. So you walk in the front door and the living room is the waiting room. And uh, anytime you go in there, there's kids playing on the floor with toys and they know that they can run into the kitchen and grab a snack. And there's always a ton of goldfish crackers and animal crackers. Um, and uh, we have a little library set up where they can grab books and take books home with them and school supplies. And so we really try and make it comfortable and accessible to get the kiddos in the right frame of mind where they are able to do some of the heavy lifting that we do with them. And now this is not residential. No. Okay. And and um, and and talk to me about then also you're working with uh, the parents, with the yeah. uh, either the, the, the potential foster parent or the current foster parents mm-hmm. or, or family members. Yes. Yeah. They're a really big part of the services we provide. Um, I can give an example of what a session I recently got to observe. Uh, so we had a one of our clinicians has a four-year-old she's working with who was uh, recently adopted. And so we're really working on, um, you know, that relationship between the child and the adoptive parent, you know, because they, that's the family now and the family into the future if everything works out right. Um, and so, you know, in this in this session, the uh, kiddo and the foster mom or the adoptive mom and the therapist walk in and the kid doesn't know the adoptive mom. You know, she knows her therapist much better. Seems like she could care less if the mom was there. Um, and they sit down and they're playing at the dollhouse. And really what it looks like is just two adults playing with the dollhouse with a kid. And uh, But what the clinician is doing is creating all of these little avenues for the mom to interact with the child in a safe way. So the kid's looking for a baby bed, can't find it. And you see the therapist, like, sneak a baby bed over to the adoptive mom so the adoptive mom can come in and be like, hey, I found this. And later a toy's broken. The kid says, can you fix this to the therapist? And she's just like, "Mm, I wonder if your mom could fix that. And so the kid, like, begrudgingly hands it over her shoulder to her mom. Um, and it's all these little avenues where you see the therapist and the parent really partnering to support this kiddo. And it's really a beautiful thing. And by the end of the session, the uh, kiddo was actually sitting in her new mom's lap. And they were playing the scene in the dollhouse where the kids are all tucked in for bed. And a monster comes to break in the house, which is kind of significant, right? And... uh The mom says, oh, no, what should we do? And the kiddo hands the mom doll to the mom and lets her come in and get the monster out of the house and keep the kids safe. So um, what looks like just playing is really some of that therapeutic work where the kids, you know, we're really training those neural pathways that this mom is going to keep you safe. She's going to meet your needs. So it's cool. Kind of got a little lump in my throat on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah. What what motivates um, somebody to become a foster parent? What do you find is mm. common? Oh, wow. oh, man, I would say just this amazing capacity for giving. Um, I think 
the uh, the foster parents that we work with are just some of the most phenomenal people um, because, you know, for a foster parent role, what's going on is a kiddo's coming into their home for they don't know how long and they don't really know what the, you know, issues are with that kid necessarily. And then um, ideally that child's going to also move out of their home and be reunited with their biological family or move into an adoptive home. Um, so these foster parents open up their homes and love these kiddos like their own and uh, do work so hard to support them in their healing and then uh, send them on their way. It's a really, it's a, it's a phenomenal role that they play in the kids' lives. Yeah. Wow. That's, and, 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 um, what what makes I mean you've sort of answered this, but is there coaching that you give to the parents mm. as far as what makes mm-hmm. you know what are what are three yeah. tips to be a good foster parent? Oh, only three. Okay, um, <laughs> I think you know the biggest one that we talk a lot with our foster parents and really any caregiver for the kiddos. Um, the like you, we both have two year olds, so uh, are I'm sure both very familiar with a two year old temper tantrum. Um, so for my kiddo, a very normal you know, two-year-old thing, I ask her to do something and she stomps her foot, refuses, maybe throws something, maybe screams a little. And if it escalates, throws herself on the floor screaming, right? Um, And that's a really normal interaction that we're having. And I, you know, help her navigate through her feelings. And um, sometimes she needs to take a little time out and sit. And that's absolutely normal. And that's good parenting. When you're a foster parent or an adoptive parent or, you know, caregiver for a kiddo who has a trauma history, um, all of those things that your that two-year-old is going to do look so similar to the things my two-year-old's doing, um, but they're trauma responses. Um, so a big part of what we do is helping the parent or the caregiver really navigate how to interact with that child um, in a way that's different than we would with their peer group, right? So like a timeout for a traumatized kid is not going to work well because they potentially might have some abandonment issues. So we do a time in instead where we sit together. Um, So little things like that that are really focused on the uh, trauma experience that the kids have had and how to best support them as they grow up also like little normal kids. And so you've been in the position, executive director, for a bit more than a year now. Yep. Um, what, what drew you to wanting this job? I mean, it, boy, it seems like, um, there, you're, you're experiencing obviously, um, certain rewards, but mm-hmm. it also seems like there's, there's just even in these 20, 30 minutes we've been talking, there's mm-hmm. a lot of heartbreak. Yeah, there is. I think, um, what drew me to this work, uh, really, like I was saying, I uh, spent the first part of my career working with kids that never got a stable, loving home. Um, and seeing the implications for those kids where they didn't have a safety net um, was really, and when I saw the posting for Kinship House, I was like, what does Kinship House do? And looked into it. There was no way that I couldn't try and work for Kinship House because I really see our work as prevention work. Um, yeah, there's some you know trauma that has happened that we're healing from, um, but every like five, six, seven-year-old today that we can get Um, stabilized into a healthy, loving family that's going to be there with them through the coming years uh, is one less kiddo that ages out of the system without a safety net at all. So um, it, to me, is just really a a privilege and honor to get to be a little bit more upstream and, you know, working today to keep those kids 10 years down the road from um, some of those negative outcomes that can happen for the kids. What's been the toughest part of the learning curve for you? Uh, insurance billing, <laughs> which is a very boring answer. But um, 
I would say outside of insurance billing because that's so boring. Um, but it's a reality. It is a reality, yes. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know if it's been the toughest part of the learning curve, but one thing that I really uh, am impressed with and um, value about Kinship House is the organizational culture of taking care of our staff and our clinicians. So really the heavy lifting, heartbreaking stuff that's happening at Kinship House is um, entirely carried by our clinical staff. And they just do phenomenal work and are, you know, entering into some really hard stuff with kids and their families. And um, as an organization, we I think do a good job and really prioritize uh, self-care and taking care of um, vicarious trauma when it happens and things like that. So. And and um, just to round out our mm-hmm. conversation, um, you as the executive director, do you have a, a legacy in mind or a mm-hmm. mark that you want to leave or a direction that you want to take Kinship House? It's been around for almost 25 years. and Yeah. You you are at the helm for this next chapter. What That's What does right. that look like? Yeah, you know, one thing we've been thinking a lot about recently, so I, like I was saying, we were in a house in northeast Portland, and um, as Portland grows and changes, uh, our accessibility has changed, right? It, may, it used to be real easy to get to, like, Broadway and 8th, and now if it's any time near traffic time, um, it takes a while. So we've really been thinking about expanding our services geographically so we have more accessibility. I would love to see um, – right now we have uh, – four different locations we're seeing folks in through partnerships with like Boys and Girls Aid and Bridge Meadows. Um, But I would love to see us have uh, a full-blown clinic like we have on Northeast 8th and a house that, you know, has all of the trappings of everything we do as Kinship House in different locations within the Portland metro area. So, you know, kiddos out East County have the exact same experience accessing services as kids in, you know, inner Portland or, you know, all around. So, that's what I'm thinking about right now, is how do we pop up some more houses around town. Natalie, what yeah. is Executive Director for Kinship House? Thank you for coming in, and thank you for the important work that Kinship House does. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is made possible by Beneficial State Bank, a certified B Corps that holds to what it calls a triple bottom line of social justice, environmental well being, and economic sustainability. If your organization or business is interested in underwriting our show, please email phil at mediamakingchange.org. The Nonprofit Happy Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X Ray FM. Our host is Phil Bussey. Our executive producer and editor is me, Carly Meisberger. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page. Questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to info at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in.